You're listening to Fusion Patrol, a listener-supported podcast. Each week, we take a single episode of a science fiction TV series or movie and overanalyze it to within an inch of its life. Welcome to the discussion. Hello and welcome to another episode of Fusion Patrol. I'm Eugene. And I'm Kenneth. And tonight we're looking at the 17th episode of Star Hunter Redux called A Twist in Time. Episode synopsis. Dante and the gang are transporting a really, really heinous criminal back somewhere. He's so heinous, the writers couldn't even think of something horrible enough to tell us what it was. But it is heinous. And Percy is really interested in that. Well, that's not going to go smoothly, is it? On the way, however, they are diverted to Triton and a secret research facility that has suffered an emergency in their graviton research. Caravaggio helpfully explains that gravitons are thought to hold the secret of bubble universes and time travel. The transutopian is responding because no one is closer, and Rudolfo thinks there'll be big money in rescuing a bunch of well-heeled scientists or their secret papers. The base on Triton is actually blowing dimensional bubbles like a child's bubble gun, and one of them strikes the transutopian, causing one of the reactors to explode and the other to go offline. Percy, who we established just a couple of episodes ago, is the ship's official engineer, wants to check and repair the damage. But Dante, the farmer come bounty hunter, forbids her from trying, opting to go himself instead. This goes about as well as any order he's ever given Percy, and she runs off to check the reactor anyway. Lucretia is sent to escort the prisoner to the escape shuttle, as it looks like it's curtains for the transutopian as it plummets towards Triton. Percy is injured in a secondary explosion and cut off by a radiation leak and bulkheads that are sealed because of pressure leaks. As Caravaggio tries to guide her to temporary safety awaiting Dante's rescue, she falls and injures herself. She crawls along the floor, and with nary a whimper, but with a great shout of jubilation from the audience, she dies. Meanwhile, the prisoner helps waste Lucretia's time. Dante, okay, to be fair, it's really Caravaggio, gets the other reactor back online, and they escape Triton. As Dante rushes to don his radiation suit and save Percy, unaware that she's dead, 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 <laughs> Caravaggio seals the airtight compartment, ending any chance at rescue. Dante runs off, hoping to try something else, but he falls through a bubble fracture in space-time and ends up on the bridge just moments after the first explosion and after Percy has already left to inspect the reactor. Being a lot sharper on the uptake than he usually is, Dante realizes he can hurry up and save the ship and Percy. He fails. He cannot hurry up enough, and Percy still dies, and the audience goes wild again. Meanwhile, the prisoner helps waste Lucretia's time. Dante tries again. This time, he tries to retrieve Percy first. Meanwhile, the prisoner helps waste Lucretia's time. Dante succeeds in saving Percy, but Lucretia, having stowed the prisoner in the shuttle, steps in and assists Sans' radiation suit and dies. The audience is not happy with that unfair trade-off. Dante tries one more time. Remember what I said earlier about Dante being swifter on the uptake than usual? Here's where I take all that back. It's only on this, his fourth attempt, 
that he bothers to call Lucretia to help him, despite the fact that after the first attempt, he already knew that the other reactor was going to come back online and they'd be safe. There was never any need for her to transport the prisoner to the shuttle. And no need for the audience to have to watch the prisoner waste Lucretia's time over and over again. Now, marshalling his personnel and working as a team, he sends Lucretia to save Percy, and he attends to the trivial piece he needs to do to help Caravaggio complete the engine restart, and everyone is saved. Perhaps this is a metaphor of what's wrong with the show, or perhaps this could be Dante's Groundhog Day. There's an unusually long eating sequence afterwards where they try to explain just how weird what happened was, and then Dante is back on the bridge. It seems time and space aren't unbroken yet. The end, but you know it isn't. Okay, um, you kind of pre-warned me about this, and I can see what they've done here. It's not obviously a two-parter, but at the same time, it's obviously a sort of run-on from one to the other. Yes, it is. I'm not going to say that that forgives us wasting all the time with that annoying prisoner, but it gives it a little more, a little bit more sense because obviously that's going to have to have some meaning later. Him constantly beating us over the head with, it's not my time yet. So we know he knows when his time is and it's not yet. So there you go. So I'm, what do you think of this episode? Now, I've watched this episode so many times in the last week. and I did too, uh, and I only watched yeah. it once. <laughs> yeah, and um, I always found, I always found, I, was, I like it overall. I found that every time I watched it, I picked up on a different set of details. Percy's head, obviously, banging her head. Yeah, it's just, I was watching, as little, I was noticing more differences um, among each of the four versions of the time loop. Well, I'm talking about that, yeah. Percy bumps her head in one of them and does not in the others. Yes, and um, Dante changes his curse words and a few well, things. Well, Dante doesn't matter. Yeah. Da- Dante doesn't matter because Dante is aware that he's, he is not actually in a time loop. Dante's time is running linear. He's, you know, he's the only one that's not forgetting and going back to square one. Yeah. So I mean, th- to to me, if there is anything, this is this is the thing that's interesting to explore is the fact that we, we can't count Dante any anything he does differently is Dante trying again, knowing that he failed. But when it comes to Lucretia and when it comes to Percy, as far as I can tell. <sighs> I can't see any reason why they should be different on each pass. Now, un- unless we're going to do with the whole butterfly wing thing and say that by Dante using a different curse word over the radio, it somehow alters the way Percy goes into a uh, an access panel. And I, you know, I, I'm definitely not on board with the idea of going back and plotting that out to see if if she even ever heard anything different from Dante or did Caravaggio behave slightly differently because Dante behaved slightly differently I didn't see any of that I just saw Percy and they made a big point out of it bumping her head once I think it was on pass two or it might have been pass three and on the other times she did not and it must have been deliberate 
because for the most part, they just replayed the exact same footage. Yeah. Which, you know, makes sense, except in that, in that odd case. And, you know, I, I, it would, it would bother me greatly. It would bother me immensely if they're going to do a Wesley Crusher with that thing, because as it seemed to me like the scenes with Lucretia were absolutely spot on identical every time. They might have been from a slightly different camera slightly angle. Slightly different, but, but very, very, but almost identical, yeah. I'd say word for word, at the very least. But, like I say, it's hard to tell if you, if you shoot the same scene, you know, if, if an actor shoots the same scene from two different angles. In theory, it should be the same, but in reality, it cannot possibly be because... They're humans, not programmed machines. So our mind tends to forgive those when we're watching television most of the time, unless it's just really egregious. Um, you know, like they cut to a close-up and a wide shot, and there's somebody different in the background or something. But, uh, you know, that I, I didn't think they were trying to tell me anything with Lucretia. I, I think they were trying to tell me Lucretia was doing exactly the same thing. You know, until the, po- until the moment when Dante changes what's happening. In the course, for example, the time that Lucretia goes and tries to help Percy and gets herself killed. I don't know. It doesn't go anywhere in this episode. um, But since we know that it has something to do with the next episode, you know, I'm willing to set that one on the back burner and and not say that it wasn't paid off. But, you know, I don't have much hopes because they don't tend to pay things off. Um, And of course, the obvious references to this prisoner being yet another divinity cluster reject. Actually, I, um, that may not be so clear there. Well, Um, go ahead. Because, um, there are, at least in this episode, it's not so clear. It's there are hints of it in the next one. Um, but, um, but, uh, then again, but people never actually say orchard. People never actually say divinity cluster. So maybe not. Right. Um, but, um, just, but speaking of, um, paying off points, well, you will get to, um, we'll see much more of Mr. Five in the next episode. Mm, sounds like he's a biological experiment. Otherwise I wouldn't have named him a number. But well, actually yeah. he does have a, uh, that's, that's just, we don't actually learn his birth name ever, but, um, I did wonder if five was some sort of homage to number six, but. Oh, he's be, a retired secret agent. Okay, I, I no. could be really, I could be reading too much into that. But. Uh, well, I mean, here's here are the things that got me. Um, you know, it's two. The first is when they ask him, you know, why did you do it, and he's like, if if cutting her would cause all the voices in the universe to shut up in your head, you'd do it too. Now, the in any other show. In absolutely any other show, if a madman, a mad killer said that, you'd know he was a mad killer. Because, you know, the voices make them stop, you know, that kind of thing. But in this show, because of the Divinity Cluster connection, you could be forgiven to jump to the conclusion, as I instantly did, and basically slap my head and go, oh. Are there no normal killers in this universe? Are they all just uh, are they all just influenced by this this and who knows maybe that's the case. Maybe all madness has always been 
uh, a manifestation of the divinity cluster because it has been, you know, in us yeah. forever. Actually, so, in, actually, in the series, we have met some killers not influenced by the divinity cluster. Maybe at they the might. beginning, early on, well, they might have been. Just because they didn't tell us, remember, they remember could come those along two. later. Remember those, yeah, the two, remember, the one the that Percy cousins. fell in love with again. Yeah, but but that doesn't actually mean they weren't influenced by the divinity cluster. I mean, the writers can make up whatever they want further down the line. But but you know, my point is is that that his description of the voices is so absolutely stereotypical, cliche. I'm a madman, right? I mean, that, right. that's you hear that everywhere. It's just because a because of the divinity cluster being a part of this. And we have seen people talking about, you know, the, the, that, that basically psychic type stuff. And apart from the fact that he was just annoying beyond belief, um, the fact that he keeps making that comment about this is not my time, which again, in this universe, belief in clairvoyance is a legitimate thing. So, and, and, and frankly, the clairvoyance that would be provided by the divinity cluster as we understand it would be to do with dimensional uh, transcendentalism and seeing the past, the present, the future, which they've already mentioned. So, you know, he's a prime candidate for that. And, you know, he's probably been hit by a dimensional bubble, which if he had it, he was probably accelerated or catalyst uh, in this, in this accident. So I, I, you know, I think that's a reasonable, not only is it a reasonable explanation, it explains why they waste the time with him. I mean, apart from the obvious that they did not have enough story here to fill an hour, and we got way too much of the repeat cycle. Yeah, when I saw this episode um, the first time, I started thinking of that Star Trek The Next that Star Trek the Next Generation episode in which a ship collided with the Enterprise and everything blew up, and then it went through the loop again and again, and it mm, turned with out Picard the end, being a future, yeah. And no, it turned out that Data solved the problem, and it turns out that it was Kelsey Grammer on the bridge of a ship from Kirk's era. Oh, right, 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 right. That was that. Wait, hold on. Data solved the problem. We're not talking about the one where Data's the only person who knew and erased everyone's memory. No, that was different. That was different. And then it was not the one where the Enterprise blew up and the Picard from the future came that was, back. And that was, it was season two. And I remember one with Kelsey Grammer, but I don't remember any. But that was the one so. where they, like, a ship kept colliding. Another ship came out of some spatial portal and it hit the Enterprise. And the Enterprise blew up and a few times because the episode went into a loop. And eventually, Data saved the ship, and uh, it was Kelsey Grammer in one of those maroon jackets with the white yeah. turtlenecks. No, I, I remember that very clearly because I know he was a huge fan, and they gave him a cameo in the show. Um, I mean, I, I can't call any specific ones to mind, but it's not an uncommon. It's not an uncommon plot to have the whole. Thing cycle and you try again and cycle and you try again. I, I've seen that in several, in several places over the years. Um, some are done better than others. I didn't think this one was done particularly well. My perspective here, if for viewers, that I cannot watch this episode without watching it in the context of episode eighteen, Eat Sin. 
Okay, but that does not change the fact that they wasted and, way too much time yeah, on the loop. But it did get it. it, it uh, for, and early on, I did think maybe it was a bit repetitive, and then I started really watching and slowing down and taking notes and realizing, oh, they changed this and they changed that, and they. But to no, uh, but to no effect. Yeah, I get the impression that um, maybe. Um, People were uh, maybe running short on time and had to yes. speed something up. And so they did two bottle shows in a row and hired one actor to play, no, the, I, I to absolutely, play the killer. I absolutely believe that they had to squeeze two episodes out of one story. And instead of making it a really tedious two-parter, they did this kind of... what Again, I'm I'm guessing based on the way this story quote unquote concluded because it did seem to conclude the 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 problem of this this episode which is ship blowing up save everyone's lives was concluded and fixed and the fact that dante did not go back to the same spot where they had just had the engine blow up and percy had just left means that this is a different thing that's going to happen next it's it's still contingent upon the the bubbles from Triton, but it's, you know, and, and then here's where it's going to come in with the guest star who had nothing to do in this episode except waste Lucretia's time um, and by extension, the audience's time. And, and yeah, no, it, it definitely felt like they said, well, still 15 minutes short. Well, let's give it another loop. No, let's just make the clips long, longer. Uh, you know, that... There is how there's what succeeds or fails in one of these episodes where you have to do everything over again. Doing it again has to be interesting in some way. And watching Percy bumble through her her little pinball there wasn't. And that's not an or Lucretia. It's not my bias against Percy. It's not my bias against Lucretia. It's the fact that we are just watching the exact same thing over and over again, and it is not advancing the plot in any way, shape, or form. It is not informing what Dante is doing. It is not, um, apart from Percy bumping her head, which, as I said, doesn't go anywhere, there's no, uh, there's no meaningful variability in it that could throw Dante's game off. Right. You know, if if one time Percy goes left and another time Percy goes right and Dante thinks she went left and is trying to rescue her that way, then there's a reason for failure. And there's a reason why it might be interesting to see that they're behaving, showing us that they're behaving in a different pattern. But then the fact that that does not happen, it always leads to the same inevitable conclusion of Percy lying, dying or dead on the floor and Lucretia punching the guy in the shuttle um, it, 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 it just, it does reek of, we just need to kill some time and, and flesh this one out. And so it doesn't work for me. And, and that's a shame because I think I remember, well, I'm sure I remember, I definitely remember whether or not I did it or not. It's another story. Uh, last time saying when we were recording that for the first time ever, the next time trailer looked interesting to me. I remember, remember you said that. <laughs> 
And, and then I got, I was, I was deeply disappointed. I mean, it's not the worst episode by any stretch of the imagination um, or anything like that. It's, it's not terrible, but it's, you know, it's very disposable and it is a bit tedious because of the repetition, but it certainly didn't hold up the promise of what I saw in the trailer. And it totally didn't, it didn't play out remotely like what I thought was going on in the trailer. I don't know. I got the impression that Percy was trapped in an alternate universe, like a, a, a parallel ship in a bubble universe by, by whatever they spliced together. And that she was, you know, like on a different uh, empty transutopian and Dante oh. and Lucretia were on the original. And, and that, that's what that feels like from the next time trailer, but it's nothing like what we actually got. You very you, you you almost described the next episode. Well, now that I've seen the next time trailer for that one, yep, that's exactly what I thought. I'm like, huh? That's that's um, interesting that they that they cut the next time trailer together. There, there's there's no indication that you know that it's like a time loop episode that I can that I can see. But anyway, you know those are the those are the things that that really kind of stood out to me about this story it's like it's got promise and yet it just it doesn't it doesn't deliver um you know i i did thoroughly enjoy percy dying as i'm sure you can tell from the recap um (laughs) it's like that was that was like i know i'm going to be disappointed by the end of this but um but yay Uh, (laughs) let's see i have something here um there's a theme that is um present in the original as a in the in the original episode um there was of course uh, rodolfo's opening transmission which um of course is not in this redux version mm-hmm. and in that um, in that original version of the episode we had linking material from the previous episode supermax into this one Oh, explaining how everything's all back to normal yes exactly where he's <laughs> and where he said where he, where he said he, that Max paid him a lot of money, so of course, you know, he sold. And then um, he, uh, then Rodolfo, while eating a very large sandwich, um, said this, in this universe, the only second chances we get are the ones we give each other. Mm. So in this case, well, I guess we could say was four chances. The fourth that, that's chances. His, um, and that was how he explained that he got a hold of the ship again? <laughs> yeah. Wow. Okay. Um, like I said, pretty much forgotten. Um, now I, I do want to call out something that, that is, uh, I also put it in my, um, and recap in, in the, the commentary parenthetical statements, but it's true. One of my complaints about this show, you know, and it, it's in very, it was in very sharp relief in this episode is the fact that Percy always does whatever the hell she wants to do. She, in fact, she'll do exactly the opposite of what is for the benefit of everyone on board the ship most of the time. She is absolutely, positively operating in her own universe. Dante, on the other hand, never does anything except for his own purposes and a weird sense of, oh, I'm going to save somebody every once in a while. And Lucretia is operating her own agenda, although she is helpful and, and the most team player of the bunch, despite her separate agenda. 
part of what is wrong with this show in my mind is just how awful things turn out for them over and over and over again because they don't even make the slightest pretense of being a team. They are terrible with each other. They are they are three electrons that can't approach each other in any meaningful way. They're just bouncing around an orc cloud somewhere. An orc cloud? Why did I say that? Never mind. An electron cloud somewhere. And that does not make for satisfying stories because you looking at this, you go, if you two would just work together, this problem would be solved. You would not have this problem except that you are intentionally not working together. You are absolutely doing everything you can to be exactly wrong all the time. And this episode shows that in spades that it's not going to work until Dante treats this as a team instead of the Dante show. And it would have been better if they could have somehow worked Percy into that so that, you know, I mean, obviously Percy and Lucretia aren't learning anything from this experience because they're not, they don't, aren't aware that they're in this experience, but you know, it, it's not until Dante starts thinking, oh, hey, Lucretia is not doing anything important because he should know that upon absolutely the first go round. He knows that the other reactor works and that they can easily get it online. Caravaggio is going to do 90 percent of it. He has to go hotwire the, the keys or whatever it is he, he does in that hole and they're going to get out of it. So there is no danger. So the first time back through on the loop. And he goes, I got to save Percy. I need more time. He should instantly call Lucretia and say, put the prisoner back in his pen. Don't worry about it. Help me. But he doesn't. Over and over again until pass number four. And I would like to think that Dante learns this lesson. And that, you know, because we've, we've talked about the, we've talked about the growth of those two trusting each other now, sort of. I mean, I don't know how far they trust each other, but, you know, they, they've definitely come to an understanding that they did not previously have. But you really don't see it here until past four, and then suddenly it's like, oh, yeah, I, I could use, you know, Lucretia's a team. And and did he even pick that up? Because it didn't even occur to him until after Lucretia helped out, and then she died because she did it. So she actually sacrificed her own life to save Percy. And it's not until then that he thinks to use use her as uh, in a in a meaningful way so i i i kind of wondered if they were trying to tell us something here this sort of like this is the show writ large or writ small um would that be writ large or would that be writ small um small small. uh and and um you know it's like okay from from this point on dante's learned his lesson they're going to be a team. They're going to work together. They're going to they're going to they're going to be smart together. There is, you know, again, there's no reason Percy has learned anything from this. But and unfortunately, it's not her problem. It was always Dante's problem all the way. You know, Dante's problem was he didn't trust anybody. Percy doesn't do anything anybody tells her to do. So no reason to believe she'll change that tune anytime soon. But, you know, she is absolutely right. She was should have been the one to go down to check the engines. Yeah. I mean, assuming that we can take her for at her word when she was complaining to Rodolfo a couple of episodes that she was actually an employee as the engineer and not just a kid that's hanging on and, and tinkers with the engines. Um, in which case, you know, absolutely, she should have gone in and take a look at the engines. Her job and not Dante's. 
and and Dante doing it was typically stupid Dante behavior. So, yeah. Okay, that that was the, the, that was with the deep issues that I could come up with in the episode. I have a question. Go ahead. The ridiculous but fancy gun graphics, I assume, are Redux add-ons. They are. And why are they facing the wrong way? I. That's not my department. There, I did. In fact, and um, I am. In fact, I I did watch the the most recent time I watched this episode was this afternoon, and um, early evening, and I watched it actually in the original version, because um, I had already seen it several times in Res Redux, and I wanted to see it as it was originally, and that was without those little without those graphics. Mm-hmm. Is there any indication that she switches from a stun gray, uh, stun round to a kill round in that version? It's implicit in the, the in this in the, in the situation, but there's no graphic to indicate it. Because I wonder how well it would come off. I mean, you can't divorce yourself from knowing what's going on there. You know, uh, we'll call him Five because I didn't I didn't hear his name called that, but I'll take. Well, we we, we, we actually ne- we actually never hear his name, but he's he's Five. Okay. I mean, he, he, him and his, oh, well, you got a stun run in there and you have to shoot me, but then you have to drag me. That takes too long, but you can shoot me because I might come around. Uh, so you have to kill me, but the bounty's too big. Oh, God, he annoyed the hell out of me. <laughs> it's like, I would have shot him. Actually, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not sure if he cut people to death or he annoyed them to death. but I'll tell you. Uh, but, you know, at the point where she pops the round out and then pops around back in, you know, yeah, when it says, oh, stun round removed, kill round inserted or something, you go, okay, that makes sense. But if I didn't have that, I'm not sure that I wouldn't just think that was some dumb thing she did. <laughs> I don't know why. Um, because, you know, we've never seen that before, to my knowledge. The, uh, I don't recall, actually, because I, um... So we didn't know how I, I, I do, I, I do. I do know that those graphics, that graphic that says kill, is not in the original series. Or or lick, if you were reading it from her, exactly, exactly. Her standpoint. Yeah. <laughs> it's a lick round. Yeah. Okay. No. Um, <laughs> yeah, it, it was, you know, I, I, I have to wonder if any of that don't answer. Okay. Do, do not answer. We'll we'll get to it next time. But I mean, in my mind, I have to wonder if any of that pays off. The fact that he that she punched him, the fact that he was intentionally delaying her for I, I right. I don't know why. I mean, he's mad, so who knows? But it, you know, the whole bit about oh, I'm just going to stop right here, right now, and I'm gonna I'm gonna wit her on. Was there method to that madness, or was it just an excuse for us to have to watch that scene over and over again, and and kill some time? I just, I just don't know. If it isn't, if his line about it's not my time yet, if if his being annoying, if her punching him, if those don't pay off in the next episode, then you know it's just going to reaffirm my belief that. They're just not very good at writing. And and I know that's a... Or that they just had time to kill or something, but which is, you know, is a not very good at writing thing. But, yeah. 
There is actually an answer, but it would require me to spoil the next episode. Okay, yeah, don't, don't. We'll get there soon enough. We'll get there soon enough. I didn't feel when I got to the end of this episode, and I, and I did watch this episode a little bit earlier than I normally do in the week. And the reason I did that is that you had, you had indicated that the two episodes dovetail together. And so, and, and there was some question as whether or not we do this as a two-parter or at the same time. And, you know, when I reached the end of the episode and it was done and over, and they were sitting in the room and I'm like, okay, yeah, no, that's fine. Now, obviously, it's the prisoner that's going to be the story next time. Yes. But it, it you know, was like, this is... Yeah, this this is this is a standalone piece of work, so we're done. And then it's just it, you know, it's like one of those cheap, it's like one of those cheap cliffhangers at the end that doesn't really, right? It's not really putting the character in peril. It's not really. It's just like, oh, it's kind of like a, it's kind of like the cliffhangers at the end of the old Doctor Who serials, where you'd get to where you get to the end of one complete story. And then they just sort of tease you the first 10 seconds of the next one. Yeah. That's what it felt like. It's a like, yeah, I think we're, we're definitely done here. So I didn't. Otherwise, I would have said, I would have contacted you and said, all right, let's go ahead and do both of them. Um, but it, it just, it felt concluded enough and done that I'm like, okay, fine. We'll, we'll go on. Yeah, I, yeah, I have yeah, questions. Yeah, but... You finish one story and then the sensor rights looking at you from outside the spaceship. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. So it was just... It was just a glimpse at what happens next time, but not, you know, it's a promise that the next episode will be immediately following this one, as yes, opposed it... to, you know, who knows, it could be six months later and they've been transporting another prisoner for, you know, three weeks or something. It, it's that that was really all I got out of it. Um, I think it would have been better if we had gotten any kind of sense where Dante was forward, backward, alternate, you know, something, but we didn't, he just, yeah, he just ends up on the bridge. He's not in the position that he was, you know, he 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 was, um, it was after the Percy dying again and again, but was it? Yes, it was. Well, wait, it wasn't, it wasn't at the point where he was looping before. No. My point is, is that, there is actually no indication apart from the fact that the ship's not doesn't seem to be in red alert mode where he is. He's just by himself standing on the bridge and you don't know did he go back 10 minutes, did he go back 6 months, did he go forward a year? He didn't. You you don't know you don't know anything from it from the way that they presented it. It doesn't doesn't matter what comes in the next episode. My point is is that this as a cliffhanger all you know is something happened it would have been better if they had given us something odd beyond that. I, I don't even have an idea what it would be offhand because not knowing where they're going with it, but something something would have made it a little bit better than just having him practically look like a bad edit. It was so n- nothing. It was, it was so anticlimactic in, in, the way that it, in the way that it happened. But It sets up the, um, the next episode. Yeah, they're clearly having more dimensional problems. And the dimensional problems come out of that facility on Triton. Of course, which I assumed they would have gotten a long way away from, but hey, maybe not. But uh, speaking of um, that, and I'm when I watch a series, um, I like to try to figure out what the internal universe of it is. 
And in this case, um, there's the question of the political structure of the solar system. They did the say it was the Mars, a Mars base on Triton, right? Yes, it's the it's a, it's a base from the Mars Federation. Now these people are in the Neptune system. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So let's think about now. Let's review our federations. There's the um, Earth. There's the Terran Earth Federation. I mean, there's the the lunar. Earth Federation, Moon and Earth are one federation. There's more people on the Moon than the Earth than on the Earth, I guess. And then, or at the, least the important people are there. Exactly. And then there's the as I don't um, the Orchard is based there, and Rudolfo's up there, and the Moon's fairly well settled. And then there's the Mars Federation, uh, which is a major federation in this in the stories in this series. Mm-hmm. And then there's the Jupiter Federation, mm-hmm. and there's the Saturn Federation, and then, so then we have, of course, the you have uh, Venus and Mercury on one end of the solar system, and uh, Uranus and Neptune and Pluto on the other. So for the most inner worlds and the most outer worlds, the four federations seem to have some sort of arrangement where they get to um, put prisons or research bases out there. Yeah, I mean, I assume that that is basically the frontier. It is. Didn't we have something in one of the earlier episodes that was set on one of the outer moons out in the outer Yes, early the man who sold the world was on Pluto. Was it on Pluto or was it on moon of Pluto? Or was it, it was on Pluto. On Pluto. And that virus was from a moon of Jupiter or Saturn? No, Uranus, I think. Wasn't it Dione? Dione, no. It was, it was, had to be Uranus or Neptune. And then the, and then of course there was that prison on Mercury. Right. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, um, it, it is, it is a, how do I put this? It's a, complete and absolute distortion of reality an understandable one but a complete and absolute distortion of reality to think of you know uh mercury and venus necessarily being closer for example to the earth or to mars because of course they're all rotating at different speeds and at sometimes you know yeah. they're on opposite sides of the solar system and and so it's it's really easy to to imagine that that chart that was in all our schools that you know mercury venus earth up. mars they're all lined up nice and neat and if you were writing about it and you go well you know there's earth and then and you you know you basically draw lines between them and between mars and then between uh mars and jupiter and then between jupiter and saturn and then and then going then frontiers on the outer edges but the reality is of course that that is much more complicated than than that um so, and then, and then, think about Pluto with its orbit that is, is odd. It's, it's, yeah. And you know, my, when this show was made, they they thought Pluto was a planet. Um, so it still is. It, it, it's a dwarf planet, but <laughs> wow, well, that doesn't count. <laughs> it's like, but there's a bunch more now. They're kind of yes, they're going to have to classify a whole bunch of other dwarf planets. So you know, it's, it just has to be gone. But yeah, so I mean, the fact that it was the Mars Federation didn't. I didn't think weird at the time. It's like, oh, all right, yeah, they're just out. They're just out where nobody wants to be, basically. 
it, it's too in, inhospitable that far out to be of much value. And the closest ship is a uh, closest ship. Uh, the, the tulip is a week away. I thought that was kind of odd. I mean, again, we, we do not have a good grasp of how long it takes things out here. And we do not have a good grasp of how busy the shipping lanes are, you know, but there must be enough shipping going on that the transutopian keeps having to go out to these remote locations to find fugitives right i mean yeah obviously the fugitive wants to get as far away as he wants to but there still has to be a way for them to get there so there must be some form of regular or semi-regular traffic in these areas it has to be and uh, in this episode has has established in dialogue that the McCowan Institute for Advanced Theoretical Astrophysics Research has um, posited that faster than light travel is at least theoretically possible. Hmm. Didn't hear that line at all. You it sure was it was the, in the Redux version? It, it was in the Redux version. In the beginning, when when people were, when their uh, crew, or as, the, as, as Carol Carvajal said, I use that term loosely, um was uh, talking, uh, was giving the briefing. Well, um, obviously, you know, we know because it happened in the first episode that faster than light travel is possible under the influence of the divinity cluster. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. I, I mean, that would be, it could literally be the definition of warp drive with their little bubble, mm-hmm. bubble control. Um, so, yeah, that makes sense. But, you know, to our earlier discussion, you don't need to be traveling faster than light to get time dilation. No. Right? I mean, even our even our GPS satellites in orbit around Earth get time dilation. Exactly. Because the closer... Um, my, my understanding of physics is that the closer one gets to the speed of light, the greater the time mm-hmm. dilation. Right. And and that's right. Uh, it, it's, it's a function of... It's a function of the... Well, I guess it's a function of the warping of space. But um, anyway, it, it's uh, who knows. Um, I don't know. Let's see. I don't. I, I mean, I, I, you know, my my standard, my standard pick is a little bit more pointed in this one. There were definitely a number of scenes in this episode, or maybe it's just the same scene played over and over again. Percy is, you know, it's like. She gets to the radiation and Caravaggio says, you know, there's 60 bazillion bazookas of radiation are going to about to fry you in 30 seconds. Oh, well, I don't know. Which way should I go? It's that. It's that. It's just like either the worst acting or she's supposed to be playing brain dead. It it feels like she's just bringing a terrible performance, but I, I don't know. I mean, it was it was worse in this one. And, you know, maybe the radiation's already killing her. I don't know. Maybe that's what it was supposed to be. Maybe it was supposed to be concussion or something. I just can't tell. But, of course, I had to watch it over and over again. So it, it, really, it really drove it home that Percy just does not seem to respond to external stimuli in a normal fashion. She doesn't. And she doesn't seem to respond to a external stimuli in a fashion that is consistent with any human condition I've seen apart from brain damage. Um, you know, this, this is not how teenagers act 
um, you know, maybe if you ask them what they want for dinner. (sighs) But it's just, I don't know. Uh, Certainly not with it. You're going to die in 30 seconds if you don't get out of here. (sighs) (laughs) Do you have anything else on this? Uh, No. uh, The next episode is Eat Sin. Otherwise, it would be fill in the blank part two, but mm-hmm. we're, we're going to call it eat sin. That promises to be. <laughs> well, and there is, <laughs> the the, alone. there is, a, yeah. a, is actually an explanation of um, that title in, oh, the, I, I, in, in the dialogue. I'm guessing already. I've, I've got my guesses already with regards to that character in his comments earlier. So, but, uh, yeah. Oh yes. Oh, I'm, I'm, and you're right about five. He is, um, Really a disturbing character, and he even managed to decorate his face. Oh, boy. Did you oh notice boy. those little bumps? Oh, the studs? On, yeah. Studs, yeah. yeah, yeah. So he's I'm not playing with the full deck, as far as I can tell. Yeah, I think, yeah. Oh, yeah, again, yeah, absolutely. I mean, all the signs of madness there. It's just like I say, in, in this, you know, in this universe... If 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 you if you had voices in your head talking to you all the time, right? That would that would put that would be that would be grounds for madness. And I could see how it could if if it if having the voices is not the madness itself, then having them talking to you could drive you mad. I get that. And you know which came first? Is it the talking that is the indicative? factor that you are mad or is it the fact they drive you mad that the fact you're mad but in this universe we've added the factor that the divinity fluster cluster fluster <laughs> the um might be putting the making it so that he can hear real voices in his head but what would be the distinction for a person hearing voices because they're real to them anyway so real voices fake voices either way it drives you mad yeah so uh yeah you can also uh, also give you this little um, heads up. Uh, episode number eighteen, Eat Sin, also gives uh, is unique, and then it gives us a firm date on the calendar as to when the episode happens. Hmm. So look forward to that. I I, uh, I, I guess I'll have to put it in my iCal and uh, you know look forward to it when the day it arrives. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Kenneth, thank you for joining me. My pleasure. And listeners, I do hope you'll join us all again next time on Fusion Patrol. We hope you've enjoyed listening to Fusion Patrol, a listener-supported podcast. There are over 500 previous episodes available at FusionPatrol.com. Come join the conversation on Twitter, our website, or Facebook. Find out how you can become a supporter at Patreon.com slash Fusion Patrol. Supporters get early access to all regular episodes, bonus episodes, and more. There's even an optional podcast series where we're looking at the classic TV series, Babylon 5. Our music is Fight the Future by Amber Wolf. This has been a Lone Locust production. On the next special episode of Fusion Patrol, we'll be looking with our ears at the audio... Jeff Wayne's musical version of The War of the Worlds. And we will discuss the concept album as a format for narrative science fiction, the amazing voice of Richard Burton, and how regardless of whether this is a musical or spoken word, it really shouldn't be played on shuffle.
Please come join the conversation on Fusion Patrol.